Hi, I'm Vanessa Anderson. And I'm Stephanie Cooley. It's time to give ourselves a moment to be real, to express all of motherhood. Mothering is beautiful. It's wonderful. And you know what? It's fucked up too. Come hang out with us. We're the real motherfuckers. This episode contains real moments of motherhood. Hello, motherfuckers. Oh, wait. Actually, we're the real motherfuckers. That's a really key word because this this podcast is about the many realities of motherhood. I am Stephanie. And I am Vanessa. And we are so excited to have our first night podcast tonight. Yes, we are in our pajamas. And we're doing it because this is real life. Our guest, our special guest, has three kids. She's a teacher. She does not have childcare, And so we had to do this interview at nighttime when her kids are in bed or sort of in bed. Yes. They sort of know that you're that you needed this space, so they had to ask you a few things before going on this <laughs> yeah. interview. Yeah. Well, and then there's there's one behind me, so <laughs> she, she was. Gone. <laughs> um, we'll see if so she comes in. Juana, you are my very very good friend from college. I wanted to introduce you as first my friend, also a huge support system for me. We've known each other way before kids. We've known each other through some deep dark secrets in our college uh, apartment for anyone who's listened to the uh, security blanket episode. She is the lovely lady who, when I was in my deepest, darkest places, when I, um, my boyfriend and I, which who was my husband broke up, she knew the secret that I had that I in secret would talk to little pictures of Stephanie Tanner when I was sad and lonely and so she cut out these little pictures of stephanie tanner liana did was it liana she cut them out and oh yeah. she cut them out you yeah. wrote that note though i don't remember oh, i think okay. i gave well, you a we, different okay. card also i had two roommates in college yeah. named liana and luana which <laughs> is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> like a book yes that's yeah. awesome so Luana, I wanted her to come on and tell us her story because it inspires me. Um, she was um, a mom before I was, and I remember hearing her story and feeling for her. And I think um, maybe we can start off with you telling us about yourself. And then I also wanted to tell everybody, this is a story about advocating for your kids and yourself and trusting your gut. Thank you. Um, so uh, I am a full-time teacher, middle school teacher, um, and I have a 10-year-old son, a seven-year-old daughter, and no, eight-year-old, she just turned eight, and a five-year-old daughter. Um, so when my son was born, and I know you've had an episode about this, um, I had everything. I had postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, postpartum OCD, um, and we had a really, really hard time with him. He would just cry for hours. And, you know, I took him to the doctor and I'm like, oh, it's colic. That's what they say for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay. So he just, I wouldn't go out because he would just scream wherever we were. Um, then, oh. Choo-choo! I think I can, I think I can. Don't let your projects on or near the tracks derail. 
Let OnTrack Solutions navigate the railroad aspects of your project with confidence and results. Keep it on track with OnTrack Solutions. With our sponsor, OnTrack Solutions, the Real Motherfuckers podcast is a train meant to connect with mamas who feel off track. I remember you would talk about, we would talk about witching hour. And I think this was at a time when you still didn't really know what was going on with your son. I remember you being like, but witching hour was every freaking hour of the day. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you mean? Witch- and, and then and my husband would come home and I would just hand him the baby and I would go in the garage and cry because mm-hmm. he had been crying for like three hours straight. And, you know, you don't you're as first time mom. I'm like, I, I guess this is how it is. Um, so then when he was two years old, I started to notice other things. Um, he didn't play with other kids. Uh, he didn't play with toys the way that they were meant to be played with. He would usually like line things up or put them in groups or sort them. Um, he was really into stuff that kids his age, like he really liked microbiology. Age <laughs> two. Wow. Um, and then at two and a half, I had my daughter and I'm preparing myself, you know, for the crying and the, and she's like, she doesn't cry and she just sits there and she goes to sleep. And I'm like, wow, this is really weird. What is this? Um, so I, I, because I'm a teacher, um, I have had quite a few students that are autistic and mm-hmm. I went to my pediatrician and I, I told him what I was noticing in my son and that I was kind of suspecting that he was autistic. And he pointed to all the obvious signs. Oh, well, he makes eye contact. His verbal skills are very good. You know, all these um, things. He's like, no, there's, he's not autistic. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, you're the doctor, you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as he got older, as the years went by, I just kept noticing all of these different traits that weren't neurotypical. Um, and I would tell my husband, I would tell family members, I would tell, and everyone was just like, no, I, I, I think he's fine. You're being too teachery. Um, and so finally, when he was seven, we were mid pandemic. And on top of just the world being really messed up, but we were all messed up. He just, everything kind of exploded. And um, he became really violent um, to the point where I was the only person that could control him, which was really hard because he was doing online school. My mom was trying to watch them while I was teaching online. And I'm literally running out of the room every five minutes because nobody can control his meltdowns or understand why he's having a meltdown or know what's happening. And at that point, I was like, you know what? This isn't, oh, I brought it up to the doctor again. And I was told that I just wasn't setting clear boundaries, that I wasn't disciplining him properly. It was, this was a parenting issue. Um, mm. My family was telling me the same thing. And so, you know, all the blame it's mom, right. it's mom's doing everything wrong. And then I just finally was like, you know what? I'm going to take him to a specialist. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm a horrible parent, but the worst you can do is tell me, yeah, he's neurotypical and you 
didn't do a good job of disciplining him. And okay, now everyone's right. Um, so I found a, um, a children's uh, psychologist who specializes in uh, neurological um, issues. And it was about 10 hours worth of assessment, which it's all cut up, but it's like a two hour interview with the parents and then four hours uh, with the child in two hour increments and then um, like huge stacks of surveys that you're filling out and then another interview with the parents. And so it's just all of this data collection. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the first time that I called her, uh, Dr. Torquato, she, I'm, te- I'm, you know, she's asking the history, everything that happened. And she's like, she, right off the bat, she goes, your son's autistic. And I just start crying because it was the first person that ever validated everything that I was feeling. And she starts saying, does he do this? And I'm like, yeah, what about this? Oh my gosh. And the, and it was like, she just knew every single little thing. And then she said, when he was a baby, because um, a lot of autistic people have sensory processing disorder. He does, I do. My daughter who's autistic does also. Um, she's like, all that crying was his system was being bombarded, whether it was the feel of his clothes, the sounds that to normal, to neurotypical people would be no big deal, the TV, um, whatever his senses were on overload and he was a baby, so he would cry. Um, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden just all these things made sense. And, and I'm like, Oh, well, he also did this. And she's like, well, yeah, that's, that's an autistic trait. And you know, he did this and that's not, and um, everything just started to make sense. Um, so we were able to get that private autism diagnosis. Uh, and then I was able with that to get him diagnosed by the state in order to receive state services. And then the school, which just goes to show how screwed up the system is. I'm a teacher in this district that he attends. The school assessed him and would not give him an autism diagnosis um, wow. because he didn't need enough supports. What would your ideal world look like of, of a school that supported him look like? So uh, when a child has any disability, they have an IEP. Uh, individual Mm -hmm. education plan and within the IEP are so the I you got it girl okay so the the IEP would have been like the first step for your family for that recognition of being able to work with your child provide supports at school as well okay Mm -hmm. so um now he was able to get an IEP Alice I need you to lay down please um he was able to get an IEP because he does actually have a disability in reading Mm -hmm. And when they tested him, that was very obvious. Um, So because he did have a disability, he can get that individualized attention and support, but they wouldn't put autism on the IEP. So when he would have issues because of his autism, they wouldn't provide the proper supports because it's not like legally binding on paper. Mm Mm-hmm. That's crazy. But I, I remember, and I know this because we've been able to talk before, but I thought 
what a, a light bulb for you. You were reading those symptoms. And then can you tell our listeners what you realized about yourself? please. Yeah. yeah. So like I said, there was these huge packets of things that you're like, does your child do this? Yes. No, sometimes, or a scale of one to five. And as I'm filling this out, I'm, no, 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 you're not in here. You got to go lay down. And so as I'm <laughs> filling this out, um, he, I'm like, Oh, well, everyone does that. And my husband's like, no, no, they don't. I'm like, oh, well, okay, but this one, like everyone does this. So, and then like, no, no, people don't. Do and I started realizing, wait, but I do all these things. What were these um, things? It, it, uh, let's see. I'm trying. I mean, so the stimming, um, mm -hmm. which, so when I like get really excited, I like, I like flap my hands. Um, or when I get really nervous, I'll, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. So it's repetitive motions that, yeah. um, so how an autistic person's brain um, processes um, happiness, anxiety, anger, just very extreme emotions. Um, and so can you describe, so stimming is what someone who is autistic or who has autism does to, is it? I don't know. Like, how do you describe it to relieve them? Okay, so the way feel better. Yes, but the way I think about it too is almost you know when you're happy you smile. Uh huh. You don't even think about it. Your your right. brain. Oh my gosh, guys, put the cat down. listening you can relate to trying to do a podcast at this time and you know when you have something to do your kids stay up yeah. this is what's happening yeah, yeah your kids exactly. know there's something important yeah so yeah. no worries okay. Luana. So, we're gonna keep rolling okay um so you're when you're happy you will automatically smile you don't even mm -hmm. think about it your body just does it stimming feels the same way if i'm really anxious i'll just automatically start doing whatever that repetitive motion is and it it makes it calms me down it makes me feel better and if mm -hmm. i don't do it if i stop myself which is called masking which a lot of autistic people do because our society doesn't embrace people acting differently um mm -hmm. i for me at least i'll feel like physically ill well oh the gagging right when i was in college yes. I, if I got very, very anxious, I would start gagging. Like if I was going to throw up and I couldn't, I remember it. there were so many times where before, oh my gosh, before finals or midterms, mm -hmm. before you left the house, you would gag. And I felt so bad for you, but it didn't even cross my mind. I was like, this is just my friend's response to stress. Mm -hmm. And the, the smile example is very powerful to me because how crazy is it to think about as a natural response to something happy if i if i had to watch for my smile what a crazy mm -hmm. thing to have to watch for something mm -hmm. so natural to you um being forced to, i mean it's like trying to not cry when you when you need to cry you know mm -hmm. that's such an interesting thing that you have to to hide yeah and and then the flip side of that is so autistic people don't express emotions in the same way. Um, so um, autistic people don't express emotions in the same way. So like 
when an autistic person is happy, they may not smile. Mm -hmm. And so then you get the flip side of that of, hey, what's, which my son gets this a lot because he doesn't smile when he's happy. Hey, mm -hmm. cheer up. This is a fun event. And then he gets really upset because someone is telling him how to express the way he's feeling. Um, and then that can possibly lead to an altercation or a meltdown. Mm -hmm. So then how, there's... How is this with family too? Oh my gosh, it's so hard. So I am I come from a traditional Mexican family. Mm -hmm. um, both of my parents immigrated here from Mexico. And there are certain cultural expectations that go completely against what an autistic person whatever wants to. So you have Watch to the hug feeling, kissing and all kiss of that, right? Everybody. Yeah, yeah. And look people in the eye and um, be talkative and outgoing. And we have these huge parties. I mean, like a small party for my family is a hundred people. That's a yeah. small party. And we all live yeah. near each other. Yeah. And everyone is loud and in your face and in your space and in your business. And everyone says whatever's on their mind. And so it has been a struggle because even with, like I've even written out an email talking about his traits and the supports he uses and what he needs and how he'll behave and people still don't respect it. And then also judge my parenting mm. because I am putting out these boundaries because I am and and say that I'm using autism as an excuse or that we're not really autistic um we see we seem fine that must be sad and and I I was also wanting to know as far as the family goes I know that sometimes even my parents will be like, oh, you did that when you were a kid and you're fine, or you didn't do mm -hmm. that as a kid. I mean, it, has that happened for your family? Have they said that anything similar to that to you? For sure. Um, especially when it comes to like, oh, well, you forced yourself to start hugging people. You forced yourself to look at people and you're fine. And it's like, no, I actually have crippling anxiety and depression. <laughs> I'm not fine. Um, so, yeah. But then it's like, but then how do you say that to someone that raised you? Um, right. And I think it's also just, especially the older generation, not understanding that things are so hard for our generation because we weren't given these supports. Um, yeah. And, but when it's, when I was diagnosed and I was telling my psychiatrist, like, you, you know, it was the same with me. I have to go from what I remember until present day and kind of talk about all of these different things that I've experienced. And like, when I was a child, I used to bite myself because one of my autistic traits is I don't feel pain. And mm -hmm. So I would bite myself to see how hard I needed to bite myself in order to feel pain. And I had bite marks all, I would have bite marks all of my arm. And um, I also, I didn't express emotion. Um, and I would go somewhere. I mean, okay, you know, we all have kids. Three, three four-year-old me, I'd go to my grandma's house and they would sit me on the couch and I would sit there completely silent 
for like four hours. Wow. I wouldn't move. I would, wow. They would forget I was there. Mm-hmm. And everyone loved babysitting me. And I, because I was such a good kid. Right. I know. I know. Um, and so I'm telling all this and, and my psychiatrist was like, well, didn't, didn't your like parent notice these things? <laughs> and it was, yeah. and it was that thing like, oh, she's quirky. She, you know, especially the quiet part was like, oh, she's so easy to take care of. What a, what a well-behaved child. Um, but because female autistics, um, our traits are so different than, than male. Um, a lot of what I'm describing is what you see in females, but it's not what is stereotypical. It's not what had been stereotypically seen as autism. And so even though it was a very strange behavior, um, nobody flagged it because it wasn't a problem behavior. Right. Totally. Because if you're still and quiet, that's like what all children want, right? And people think about it as a timeline. And so, and and this is kind of how traditionally it was looked at. And it's like, oh, you're very autistic or you're a little bit autistic or you're, you know, that narrative, that explanation is completely misleading and Mm -hmm. is um, being not used anymore. And instead they use something that looks like a pie. Um, or I've also seen one that looks like, um, is it called a switchboard? Oh my gosh, my brother's a sound engineer and I don't even know. All the- <laughs> <laughs> soundboard. Soundboard, soundboard. They, so I've seen that used too. But um, the one that you see in like more scientific um, publications would be this circle, the pie. So you have, you have a pie and each sliver represents a different trait. So um, not making eye contact, sensory processing disorder, not wanting to be um, uh, non-speaking, like, you know, all these, all these different main traits. Autistic people are just as different as neurotypical people. So a neurotypical person is someone whose brain is not autistic. So it's, it's like, the idea that every autistic person is going to act a certain way is like, well, we don't expect every neurotypical person to act a certain way. Right. Um, you see similarities, but it's also varied. And within that pie, that's for me, I don't like making eye contact. But when you think of a sliver of a pie, you have the, the thin part here and then it gets fatter. So even within that trait, a person's like maybe someone makes a little bit of eye contact so they're at this part of the sliver Mm -hmm. or maybe someone makes a lot of eye contact so they're way up here on the sliver um but what i really like about it too is that the pie is not stationary so if i am in um if i go somewhere that's really noisy and i don't have my headphones or my earplugs then I start getting overstimulated and I will start stimming. Okay. And I will start stimming a lot more than I would if I was in an environment where my needs were being met. And so if we're thinking of that pie sliver on Monday, I may be way down here and not needing to stim a lot because I'm home, because I'm comfortable, because it's quiet. And then on Wednesday, maybe I go to a school event and I'm stimming way up here. Mm -hmm. So even for the same autistic person, 
your the your traits can change and um, increase or decrease depending on what situation you're in. Do do you stim out in public or do you keep that for when you're home or how does that work? I and are, I or is it certain in front of certain people or you know? Yeah, I have certain stims that like I'll do, I'll only do at home. And then I have others that I don't even realize I'm doing that are just like, I'm, I, I've done, oh my gosh, there's this, really, no. um, there's this really good show that I am now blanking on the title, um, but the writer and director is autistic, the actors are autistic, it's, it's uh, about like a, a young lady who's autistic, but um, in it, he ta he talks about how he's always been so twitchy, and always wondered like, wait, why aren't other people twitchy? And mm -hmm. so like that's one of my stims is that I'm constantly my legs always shaking or um, and and then I look around and everyone's just sitting still, and I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah. certain things that I do that I don't even realize. Um, and then there's like overt streams, like um, if I get really anxious or sometimes I just feel like it, I like to write in the air. Like I would never do that one in public mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. people would stare at me and that's not a good feeling. Yeah. Um, and, you, and when you write in the air, Luana, is it like a word that you're thinking or is it just kind of abstract it's a it's always words um because I like to see the world in words so like when I talk to people it's almost like I have um subtitles in my head and so if whatever I'm feeling if I'm seeing certain words in my head then I'm writing them out and it has to be in cursive um it might be one word it might be a phrase it might be if I'm watching tv it might be whatever the actors are saying um, so it varies. That's awesome. So I, um, the only person that I knew of, and we've had this conversation before. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm saying this is because maybe the only example they have of a neurodiverse person is Temple Grandin, one of, and then the other one would be Rain Man. Mm -hmm. I know that you have said that Temple Grandin is kind of like the old school not really supported version of what neurodiversity is today. Can you speak about that, please? Yeah, and I think what what's hard with Temple Grandin is it plays into what people expect an autistic person to look like, mm -hmm. and which is an autistic person with high support needs. Um, and And also that narrative of like the genius autistic person. Mm -hmm. And so because Hollywood likes to sensationalize things for the longest time, the only autistic stories you heard were the very obvious um, over uh, the, the really big traits um, that, that can be seen. And so, you know, you see that with Temple Grandin and I know she was raised in an era where we didn't have the language, we didn't have the research that we have now, which even, even now the research 
is constantly changing. Like from one week to the next, I'll see them be like, oh, we're not using that term anymore. Mm -hmm. We're using this one. Or we've just realized, um, I read an article in NPR that they're looking, it's looking like one in 30 children are autistic. And it's not that we're doing anything differently. It's, it's always been like that. We've always had a high percentage of autistic people, but the research and the testing just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in Temple Grandin's time period, which is kind of like our parents, um, there's so much ableism. She, I mean, and if you, we talked about watching the movie, she wasn't given any supports. She was forced to just be in a neurotypical world and she was able to figure it out and be really successful. But that's, that can be problematic because most, because why should an autistic person have to live like that? Mm-hmm. Um, why? And, and so sometimes I know that I've heard other autistics say that when Temple Grandin speaks or in her book, she does kind of have that mentality of like, well, I did it, you can do it too. And especially if a neurotypical parent is reading that, it can be problematic because they can think, oh, well, I can, I can, if I just really push my kid, they'll talk one day or, you know, and the research is showing that giving an autistic child or adult the supports that they need and not expecting them to act in a neurotypical way is actually what is going to make the autistic person the most successful and happy. Right. It's, it's this notion that autism should be fixed. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. But like reading after seeing her hearing from you and your son, how, you know, what he's into and I've mentioned to this to you before, it's the gift that autistic people or neurodiverse people also bring to the world. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just, you see the world differently and, but you also like the Temple Grandin example again is, you know, she was able to relate to the animals, like the mm-hmm. way that a neurotypical person could not, she saw things in a different perspective mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that why we need autistic people? Do they, do you guys bring a different light to us that needs to be seen? I really feel that way. I feel that there, you guys are here for a reason. You don't have to be like anybody else. I see it as a gift. Um, And because we all try to fit into a box, even neurotypical people, you know, we have this box of what we need to look like sometimes Mm -hmm. or what we, how we need to live. Um, it's like a breath of fresh air to have, it's like a di- looking at a Picasso a different way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, it's, it's the more I'm learning about it, the more I'm seeing the gift in autism versus this burden. Yeah. Well, and that's, hope- what the, that's what the autistic community is saying. Um, and we've talked about this before is there's person first language, which is a person with autism or there's identity first language, which is an autistic person. And I identify as an autistic person, um, identity first, because I don't see my autism as something that, as a disease, something that has to be fixed. It's just who I am. Mm -hmm. And if I wasn't autistic, 
I know that I wouldn't be doing so many of the things that I, I, I'm able to do. I know that I wouldn't be the teacher that I am. I know I wouldn't be able to connect with my students because I see the world differently. Um, yeah. And so it, it is so true. And, you know, and then you start hearing about a lot of our, a lot of inventors, a lot of people that go outside the box, you do find out that they are autistic because we, we don't see the world, you know, within conventions. We're able right. to look past certain things. But you have the flip side of that where I was bullied for most of my life because mm -hmm. I saw things differently, because I acted mm -hmm. differently, because I walked to the beat of my own drum. And so we have to continue to work with our kids, with each other to really make that inclusive space because even though we love it and think it's beautiful then I go into situations where I realize wow most people still don't think it's cool that I think differently or that I act differently or that my son does with the internet and with social media <clears throat> we've talked about how Social media has crippled my brain, but at the same time, this is, I would believe would be a great example for the autistic community to finally be able to be seen and mm -hmm. say like, holy shit, you write stuff in the air too? Me too. Like, I, I don't know if you found that person. I hope you do soon. If you have I did. I, I did find that for, I, it's one of the, one of the accounts I sent to you. Okay. But... Yeah. Um, she, one day she posted a video of her just writing in the air for like, yeah. it was like five minutes. And I just like watched it I was, oh. <laughs> and I even on the comments, I was like, I do this too. Yeah, <laughs> and I had, true. before that, I had never, ever met anybody else that did that. Yeah. Um, so, when, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but, and I don't mean to make this a joke, but if you're like at a badass concert, I know I'm yeah. doing this in the air. I mean, do you feel like riding shit in the air? Like, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't have to be just stress. Like, if you're feeling, like, feeling it, like, I mean, be happy. Actually, so I, I will, I'm a dancer. And so dancing is a stim for me too. Oh, cool. Um, and so if I'm at a concert that I'm totally like, yeah. raving yeah, <laughs> <your shit> on. <laughs> I just because you were talking about Cypress Hill tonight I'd be like you miss me, girl. I mean I think like there's something that happens to even a neurotypical person when you feel a certain um stimulant mm -hmm. like you have like yeah you know yeah. I'm, I go to this like this is my stimulation like I'm feeling this song you know what I mean so in yeah. a way I'm like it must be kind of how it feels if but you're always stimulated sure. differently you know? Exactly. Well, and actually a big misconception is um, neurotypical people stim also. Mm -hmm. we, we all stim. Yep. And, and then I hear the comment, which autistic people hate, we're all a little bit autistic. Mm. No. It's diminishing. That, that's not true. What's it is there. Yeah. Yeah. We neurotypical people can have autistic traits. That mm. is completely possible, but autism is a neurotype. Our brain is actually formed differently. Our neurons work differently. Like if you took a picture of my brain and your brain, or we had an MRI scan and they did, our brains would look differently. And really? so 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, I think and I so, want to put that in you know, show notes. Put some brain scan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I think that would that be a would very be really good cool. visual for people to see. This isn't just, you just have a word for being weird mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how I people treat it. That. And especially when you say I we're mean, all a little bit autistic. Mm-hmm. I could see if I can even put that That's if people are realistic. watching the podcast. I could even probably put that before our final, yeah, like cool typical clip. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool for sure. Um, so, oh, so. so I was saying how neurotypical people can have autistic traits, but it doesn't mean you're autistic, right? Yeah, like with my blanket. But so you're I, saying like being, I go like this. That makes me go to sleep. Like, or if I, I yeah. have some in my purse, if I know I'm going to be nervous, I go like this. Like, it's just so what makes it, it's a soothing mm-hmm. mechanism for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. So, well, speaking of gifts, you have a book coming out that's pretty exciting. I'm excited about it. Like, I can't wait till it's available. I, I want to read it and just be in your world. And, you know, can you please share with, everybody you know what it is and how it came to be yes so my book is called v and by the time this airs it will be published um but it so autistic people um one of our traits is special interests and you know like i said we all have special interests but when an autistic person has a special interest we will literally lit breathe and live for our special interests. Like when I have a special interest, it's that's been the hardest part of being a mom because when I get really into something, I I wish I could just sit in my room. I won't eat. I like I won't drink water. I'll just sit there for hours and do whatever it is. Um, so one of my special interests when I was in middle school, I was being bullied really badly, was vampires. <laughs> and <laughs> I lived that for a long time through college. <laughs> We had conversations about vampires. Well, yeah, I know insight. Talk about the show that she loved. What was it? Was it Buffy? Buffy the Vampire Slayer we talked about. Oh my gosh, Buffy. Well, and then about, okay, this is one thing. Stephanie is like one of my soulmates. College was the first time that I just got to be my true autistic self. And Stephanie and Liana just accepted me, like one hundred percent. They they were just like, oh, how this. So we would <laughs> lay in our in our room because we just were always laying on the bed. We'd lay in our room. <laughs> and do you want to tell the rest? Yeah, about- <laughs> we would just talk about scenarios about like, okay, so if a vampire walked in through that window, what would you do, and how would we kill it? And I would have scenarios about it. Well, I guess I would like. I don't know, like pick a knife. She's like, no, you, I've got this better. Okay, we would take that stool, take the three things off. I would come from behind. I would go, you know, she'd have this like immaculate plan in her head and it would just spill out so beautifully. And I I was like, cool, let's talk about more scenarios about vampires. So that shit happened. If we get some vampire invasion, I'll be like, Lana, come on over, girl, come protect. <laughs> And you know, like when you watch movies and you'll see like robot brains and it has the little like box and it's like, like that's 
when I was in my peak vampire obsession in different <laughs> phases of my life, I really, I would walk into a room and I would look around and be like, okay, so if a vampire attacked right now, what would I use? Yes. And it was that like, vampire attack. Hey, but what if it was a hot, a hot vampire? What was oh, your plan then? There's a lot of scenarios yeah, with that. A one. lot of scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing too is it's like, in the book. It's in the book. Yeah. Also, like Luana, it wasn't that weird because there was, you know, all the the Twilight obsession, and like I. But that didn't come till we were adults. I know. It came when we were adults, and I read it as an adult, and I read it, and I was like, "Whoa, I like this." In a way down there, and I'm like, "Wait, but these are teenagers. I'm not allowed to like this." Okay. Uh, Steph got a little little happy when she was watching that. Okay, you just segued into so I've had this vampire obsession I read Twilight and Twilight like I'm an English teacher so Twilight was like like junk food like but I loved it you know it was for it was horribly written um oh so good yeah so I I was obsessed with it and I read the whole series in like a week um and I I was like you know what it was the same thing all the feels but they're like 16 years old and it's yeah. so like, we're 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, one day I'm going to write something like Twilight, but for adults. Yeah. So that we don't feel. So we, we're like, oh, yeah, like, mm, you know? <laughs> and so I tried writing a vampire novel for years and I hated everything and I deleted everything. And um, one night I went out with my friends dancing and it was just this like, wild night where I was just like wow I feel like a vampire like I I don't know it was just it was a crazy crazy night and I came home and I just started like I just for three hours I couldn't stop typing and for three weeks any like time I had I was typing um and so I wrote V a vampire novel about an autistic Chicana pansexual vampire because some oh who is 40 well Uh she was 40 when she was turned and she is now 55 Mm -hmm. um so she's a young vampire she's a baby but I in all my years of reading and watching vampire fiction it was always white it was always thin it was always neurotypical it was always straight and I wasn't part of any of those I think any fiction not even vampire fiction oh yeah for sure and especially mainstream right but right. you know but that was like my jam so I'm mm-hmm. that's what I'm always reading and I'm never seeing myself in any of it but I love it so I keep reading it and so I thought you know I want to create something that is all the stuff I wish was in a vampire book Mm-hmm. And so all the main characters are BIPOC. I think they're all queer. Um, and V's autistic, our main character, and and she's sexy and badass. And and I just I wanted this amazing, beautiful main character to show that she can be this and be autistic. And um, 
because that's one I see it happened to me on Instagram once I posted this video of me like with full makeup really sexy outfit talking about how I was autistic and no one thinks I am and the first comment I got was there's no way you're autistic you must have gone to a, a bad doctor and I'm like oh thanks for proving my point yeah. um but that's something that you is a lot of autistic influencers will talk about they this idea that someone that's attractive can't be autistic it's there's just so much ableism still Mm. um and so I wanted to flip all of that around with my book and show just how amazing all of these communities are and that they can intersect and that and to write a vampire book at the same time you know one of the best texts that I got from you was recently when you told me about some reviews that you got and I thought One of the coolest things was to read about how someone who was autistic said, for the first time, I've been able to read something I didn't feel like I needed a mask. And I could be myself while reading it. And Mm -hmm. I was in this like world that is me and not a neurotypical one. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's it's funny because I hadn't even thought of it because, you know, we were English majors my whole life when I would read books, which most of them were neurotypical characters written by neurotypical people, so much of it didn't make sense where I'm like, why are they doing that? Oh, why are they acting like that? And it was my autistic brain not understanding their neurotypical brain. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm seeing that with my book where autistics are reading it and they're like, oh my gosh, like I do that. Oh, I think like that. I And it's... Yeah. And you, it's almost like a weight's been lifted off of you and you can just like exist and and read and not question what you're reading. Now, the flip side mm. to that is my book is really freaking out neurotypical people and it's getting bad reviews because of that. Well, <laughs> so neurotypical you know people. Who your target audience is and who they are not for. <laughs> yeah. Totally, yeah. But I think you're serving the audience you were supposed to because the reason we pick up books whether it be a self-help book or a fiction book or a biography we want to definitely go into a deeper world right it's this deeper world within us and if you can't get there because you don't understand it you can't experience Mm -hmm. that so you're giving you know your your neurodiverse um peeps this world where they can go deeper and they can kind of I always, I found myself, I want to say losing myself in a book, but it's like, I go to different consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. It's your yeah. own inner world in your mind and your body. And you even probably dream about these books. So I think it's a gift and not everything is for everybody. I mean, right. mm-hmm. our podcast is not for everybody. And no. that's the beauty of our world where we have many flavors. So they can suck it. If they don't like it, <laughs> shut the fucking book. I, yeah, I we, just, a, we just got a hater comment our on first Instagram. Hater. What did she, what did she okay, say? Okay, she didn't like our pussy song. That was just like for fun. <laughs> All right. You guys are just, you are disgusting. No, she goes, you need to respect yourselves more. It's disgusting. And I was like, we are. We're like, yeah, we were hated already. We're being true that everyone's got a stinky little chaunchy chaunch. Yeah. And, and don't lie like you've never had one. Yeah, and in this world where there's so much to frown upon, we yeah. just wanted to give every somebody a little laugh if they had yeah. a bad day. Because I know that I I've had videos like that where I'm like, man, this day sucks. And then someone sends me a video and I'm like, oh my God, thanks for making me laugh out loud. It wasn't for us to be disgusting or 
to, you know, disrespect women. It was, it was to have fun yeah. and come on, you've all sweated and we're all in the summertime. All your pussy be stinking. Don't be lying. I think the goal, yeah. for, us, the goal for all of us is to, the, for our, for our video, for your book, it's for the right audience to feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think my biggest concern though, is, you know, I'm an indie author, so I have <laughs> no budget and, um, I'm like, okay, I just hope it gets out to the right people, you know, like right, right. just trying to get it to the demographics that, that I want to see. I think you'll have, I think you'll have a few super fans who will really help yes. spread the word. And if they're part of the neurodiverse, you know, group, that's who they'll market it to. Excuse mm -hmm. me. And being on this podcast, I know myself. I am just curious to go into that world and to be educated on this podcast with you and to take the time that I think that's huge for people yeah. to, well, to have even heard this, you know, before they read and it's it. It's cool that you say that because my husband reading it, I mean, we've been married 15 years, we've been together 17. And there were so many things that we struggled because of me being autistic and him just not understanding. And after he read the book, it was like a light went off. Like he, he finally just got so much of me and what I had been trying to tell him, but because the book is so detailed, he was able to see it differently than me just sitting there trying to explain it to him. And mm -hmm. so I do think it's a really great way to, you know, Hey, your partner's autistic and maybe you read this book and you're able to be like, Oh yeah, they do that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It, but it's not a book about autism. It's not a, an informational book. It's it's this stuff, you know, vampire sci-fi. It's sexy. Um, but then you're also able to see a different viewpoint and hopefully learn about how you know uh, an autistic person sees the world because we're all different. Right. That's beautiful. Um, I know that you being on here is going to help lots of people. I had a mom I just met at a birthday party, a little a kid's birthday party, and she had uh, told me, oh, you're doing a podcast? I let her know it was good. She was, you know, I know a lot of moms would be really thankful if you talked about autism on your podcast, and I, and you were on our lineup. I said, you know, just a just matter of fact, we begin to having somebody on. Um, they well, Her comment to me was that she feels lost, or they're that group of autistic um, or neurodiverse people feel lost. Um, they don't feel supported. Is there any organizations or any, uh, information that you could share to anyone listening that might live in a rural area that they can go on the mm -hmm. internet or in any, anything that you can give us to help out? Yeah. In that starting? Um, a really great organization is neuroclastic and they're on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and I know you'll have these links on your description mm -hmm. too. Um, they it is a nonprofit organization with autistic resources, information by autistic people. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is fantastic. When I first started, I mean, that's how I started learning the proper terms and the new research and guys go to bed, please. Um, and then also just they will post like oh you know i do this and how you were saying like just feeling oh my gosh i do that too um and building community and then i always tell people follow autistic influencers 
and mm -hmm. especially BIPOC autistic influencers, but also be ready to feel uncomfortable, to be challenged, to realize that you've been ableist, even you know, we, even people who have disabilities, especially if you're late diagnosed, you have internalized ableism because you've tried to hide who you really are your entire life because you didn't realize what was going on. Um, and so I um, have given you a list of some really amazing um, influencers that have just helped me so much uh, and just listen to autistic voices. Um, a lot of the professionals, um, scientists who are, who specialize in autism and are doing the research, it still hasn't gotten to the point where autistic voices are listened to enough. Um, and so sometimes even within that, within academic stuff comes out that the autistic community really disagrees with. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, you look at both sides and you make up your mind about what works best for you. Um, but definitely, I think finding your community online, that has is been what has helped me so much. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> one thing that I wanted to echo what Luana said is being able to feel comfortable with discomfort of going through some of this stuff. If you do take the time to look about like, oh shit, I do say that, or I do do that, or I do think that about autism. And I definitely have been ableist. And I think that it's important for us to understand, like, that's just the way we were taught by popular culture, by our peers, by our parents, our by educators. our educators. Like it's nothing against you, you know, like, it's just there for us to know. We have to make the conscious decision to change it, teach our kids th the same and move on. You know, yeah. I think that that's the important part. It's like, let's, let's not have a conversation of like, oh, we can't fucking say anything anymore. Let's, how about we yeah. say, you know, like, oh shit, I didn't know that. Now I know, let's, mm -hmm. let's say something different, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's just, I think we had talked about this too. It's, you know, we saw it in the nineties, mm -hmm. you know, we went from saying the O for Oriental to Asian mm -hmm. to, is it something different now? It's actually, it's a, it's a complicated topic because I think every, every Asian quote Asian wants to identify themselves as a different, as, as, as like personally what they think. And okay. I think that's what people mm -hmm. like everywhere, whoever, whoever they are want to be, so like Mexicanos instead of Latinos or, you know. Yeah, it's like, I think it's very like, personal. So you yeah. would be, you know, you would be Filipino, right? Yeah, Filipina. or I'd be Filipina, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So instead of bunching the whole, the countries together. I think it's really a, a conversation, you yeah. know? It's like, mm -hmm. you talk to someone, they're like, oh, actually, I want to be called this. But like, cool, I'll call you that now, you know, rather mm -hmm. than like, ah, gosh, it's such a, a, t a tense thing for, I think, I do understand people don't want to say the wrong thing and. Um, I think it's just understanding, like, if you have the essence, to, if you give the essence to someone that, Hey, like I'm willing to like know you and um, understand what you want, then it's cool that you don't have to feel like guarded. Yeah. yeah. I think it just, it's hard when you don't feel like you can keep up with the world. And yeah. there's some mm -hmm. towns in our 
country where they don't have a diverse culture. Right. So it's mm -hmm. hard for them to practice this. So I think we have to give them that too. We like, do. Yeah. There's that we, some of us are fortunate enough to have, live, you know, in cities where we do have a vast amount of diverse people. And realistically, I think we don't study something unless it affects our lives. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. unless you're in, you have a neurodiverse family, whether it's your child, yourself or your spouse, you know, if you marry into an mm -hmm. ethnic family, mm -hmm. if you, you know what I mean? Like that's you when it affects your it. life. I, from a lot of people that I know, my country folks, I know they don't mean to offend anybody. Mm -hmm. They love everybody and accept, but they don't know, we don't know how to do that yet. It, that change hasn't happened in that part of the country yet. Mm -hmm. um, it might or might not happen, um, but I think it's good that, you know, every culture, if that's what they've strived to do, to do it, you know, if, if Latinos, neurodiverse people, Filipinas, whatever mm -hmm. group, you know, it's, we're, we're in a smaller, bigger world, I guess, right. you know, and we're, we're all living together and coexisting together more than we ever have before. You know, we have multicultural families and neurodiverse families. And I mean, all kinds of stuff that we didn't have before. <clears throat> and it could be a beautiful thing, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and it is so. And it, one out of 30 children seems like quite of a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's a lot of people. But you think about it like, I mean, okay, growing up, I'm autistic and I know all these people that are my age and they're like, oh my, like from following me, they've gotten themselves assessed and they're autistic. And they actually call, I think it's called the, they call our generation, the lost generation. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the number's going up. It's that none of us got diagnosed and we just struggled through life and, um, like the suicide rate for autistic people is so ridiculously high. Oh man! Mm -hmm. um, and and so I we it, it's like it's like queer people. We've always been here. Mm -hmm. it, it's just that there was never it wasn't safe, and you knew that you were different. But you know what? I just have to figure it out and try to get through it, um, because we didn't have the science to right support what it was hmm. okay Luana I appreciate you sharing all of this I do want to end with talking a bit more about you and our on our three questions that we ask all of our mom guests <laughs> um, the first one is tell us something that's in your purse and what it says about you okay so what is in my purse is my lipstick, which, cause it was PJs. I didn't do my makeup or anything, but. <laughs> fabulous, <yeah>. so amazing. <laughs> um, so I always have usually like bright colored lipstick and this is my favorite um, Femme Power Beauty. Um, it's a black queer owned makeup line, but um, for so long I tried to hide who I was. I had really low self-esteem. I didn't want to stand out. And now I feel like once I discovered who I was and I embraced all these parts of me, I'm like, look at me, you know? And so I love wearing like super bright lipstick. And then there's also um, the 
Chicana part of me where for so long I did it, you know, my, I don't know if it was like this for you guys, but in order to be considered smart or respectable, no hoop earrings, no, no red lipstick, no nails. Like it, that was like, Oh no, that's, that's what those other people do. Uh-huh. Like, no, yeah. no, you have to look professional. Um, and so, but I always wanted big earrings and fake nails. <laughs> and so it was really embracing something that I had always been told I shouldn't, mm. I shouldn't do because it, then people wouldn't take me seriously. Right. Right. Well, we take you seriously <laughs> with the red lipstick and the nails and any way you want to put, your, put on your ears. Totally. Thank you. Um, what or who inspires you? Um, okay. I don't even, I don't remember what I, okay. I don't even know what I, we've talked about this before and I don't remember, but so I'm going to say, I'm going to, my new one is going to be, um, young people. Uh, I think that there are so many young people doing amazing things. Um, Greta, you know, our environmental activist um, and just, I, you know, I'm like totally drawing a blank right now, but um, I also, I'm an eighth grade teacher and when people are always scared of eighth graders. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) um, but my students will just come up with things or do things that are so amazing and they're overlooked so much. Um, and we, you know, had a, back when George Floyd had been murdered, we had a Black Lives Matter march and I saw a bunch of my students and they came up to me and said, I'm here because of you, because of what we learned in your class. Um, But to me, uh, recently, there was an issue with um, people in town being homophobic and transphobic, and it was a huge thing. And um, our high school students went up and spoke in front of these hateful people. And I, when I was that age, I would have never been able to do that. Um, And so I, you know, when they say like, the kids are all right, like, (laughs) um, I just when I see young people just going out there and like doing all of these amazing things and standing up for what's right and um, trying to make our world a better place. I think that's, that really gives me hope and it reminds me of why I do what I do. Um, And it, it keeps pushing me forward. Thank you. And then the last question is what is a moment that you recall as a mom that's like your worst fuck up moment, but that you kind of maybe learned from, or it just was, you know, just yeah. bad, bad day, bad moment. <laughs> okay. So, um, before, so when I had, after I had my daughter, I also had severe postpartum anxiety and depression. And, um, at this time I, my, I didn't know my son was autistic. I didn't know I was autistic. I was I think I was in therapy, um, but I am now on medication for my depression and anxiety. And back then I wasn't on medication. So my fuse was very short and my son hit his sister and made her fall on the floor. And I just lost it. And I screamed at him 
I mean, I would, I had a meltdown. I now know that that's what was happening, but at the time I didn't know what was happening. I was shaking. I, I wanted to shake him, you know, I, I just, and I grabbed his sister and my sister was there with us. I grabbed his sister and I just ran in the house and Ethan, who I told you, you know, expresses emotions differently. He just smiled because uh, when he feels uncomfortable or someone's yelling at him, he smiles. And my sister kind of just looked at him uncomfortably. Neither one of them knew what to do. Um, I have always regretted that moment. And to this day, even like a week ago, I was apologizing to him for it. I was like, I don't know if you remember. Like I've apologized to him after that. And then just for years, ever since, like I'll, a few, and I'll just be like, I just, I just want you to remember that like mom was not in a good place and I was having a very hard time and I'm sorry. And I should have never treated you like that. You shouldn't ever be treated that way. And, and he's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But to this, like that moment is like seared into my brain. Yeah. It, it's, it hurts. Yeah. yeah. We all have those hurtful moments. I know it's so hard to admit them and it's so hard to go there. So thank you for, yeah. for admitting that and, and having an authentic answer to that question. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. <laughs> We've had some authentic answers to that. I think that there's, you'd, you'd feel very seen having other moms mm-hmm. tell us very similar things, you know, our lowest moments and being able to say it out loud. We all fuck up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I would, I think, Every time I'd have one of those moments, I would call you, Stephanie. Yeah. yeah. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I did. Yeah. You know, like I yeah. lost it, and uh-huh. and I'm like crying. And you're like, and, and, and I'd be like, oh, oh like, let me tell you about the same thing that I just did. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and that's good. That's the kind of friendships that you need in motherhood. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. glad that you guys have you know, stand at the test of time and yeah. it's still going strong. And I love that. Yeah. And I love that you were here on this show. I love that you are part of the uh, neurodiverse group and uh, enlighten me about it. I'm learning more about it as we speak. And I will be one of your first Amazonians to purchase your book. When this comes out, I'll be checking it out. So thank you so much. Yes. And for everyone that listened to this, I hope you enjoyed the real life interruptions of children and real life and all of that. Yeah. And this is our first time filming at night and it went well. Yeah. I'm putting toothpicks in my eyes. <laughs> I, still, I still need to go upload my book. Oh, oh my gosh. Will you go do that? Mom, we thank you Mom for your life. time. Yeah. Thanks, Lana. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you so much.